Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to the October edition of One Month to a More Effective Compliance Program. This is the only monthly compliance program focusing on a different subject, taking a deep dive so that it will help you have a more effective compliance program. This month, I will be talking about One Month to More Effective Compliance for Business Ventures. But first, a word from this month's sponsor, the Volkoff Law Group. Hi, I'm Mike Volkoff of the Volkoff Law Group and proud sponsor of this month's podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested in the company, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. The Volkoff Law Group specializes in corporate compliance, internal investigations, and white-collar defense. We are your partners in our joint mission of building an effective ethical culture for your company. Our 10 years experience shows that business cultures can change. We are committed to work with you to achieve an ethical culture in your company. We address your company's anti-corruption, antitrust, trade and sanctions, anti-money laundering, and other regulatory and legal risks. We do this through practical guidance that your company can easily implement. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.volkofflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our new podcast series of the same name. You can contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals. Thank you, Michael. In this month's series, we will take a look at the role of compliance in mergers and acquisitions, the role of compliance in joint ventures, in joint venture agreements, distributorships, franchises, teaming agreements, partnerships, as well as other types of business relationships. At the end of October, you have an excellent grounding in what you need to do for a business venture under the FCPA. My one-month series of One Month to a More Effective Compliance Program running through 2017 is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Day 10. Opinion Release 1402, Dislinking the Illegal Conduct Going Forward. One of my favorite words in the context of FCPA enforcement is dislink. It is a useful adjective in explaining how certain conduct by a company must be separated from the winning of business, and more broadly, it works on many different levels when discussing the FCPA. The concept of dislinking was most prominently laid out in Opinion Release 1402. It provided one of the most concrete statements from the Department of Justice on the unidimensional nature of compliance in the mergers and acquisition context, both in the pre-acquisition and post-acquisition phases. In this opinion release, the requester was a multinational company headquartered in the United States. The requester desired to acquire foreign consumer product, a foreign consumer products company and its wholly owned subsidiary, both of which were incorporated and operated in an unnamed foreign country. 
It had never issued securities in the United States and had negligible business contacts in the United States, including no direct sales or distributions of their products in the United States. In the course of the pre-acquisition due diligence of the target, the requester identified a number of likely improper payments by the target to government officials of a foreign country, as well as substantial weaknesses in accounting and record-keeping. In light of the bribery and other concerns identified in the pre-acquisition due diligence process, the requester also detailed a plan for remedial post-acquisition measures and post-acquisition integration steps. The requester sought from the Department of Justice an opinion as to whether the department would bring an FCPA enforcement action against the requester for the target's pre-acquisition conduct. It specifically noted the requester did not seek an opinion from the department as to the requester's criminal liability for any post-acquisition conduct by the target. So what was the pre-acquisition due diligence? In preparing for the acquisition, the requester undertook extensive due diligence aimed at identifying, among other things, the potential legal and compliance concerns at the target. The requester retained an experienced forensic accounting firm to carry out the due diligence review. This review brought to light the evidence of apparent improper payments, as well as substantial accounting weaknesses and poor record keeping. The accounting firm reviewed approximately 1,300 transactions with a total value of $12.9 million, with over 100,000 in transactions that raised compliance issues. The vast majority of these transactions involved payments to government officials related to obtaining, obtaining permits and licenses. Other transactions involved gifts and cash donations to government officials, charitable contributions and sponsorships, and payments to members of media-controlled, excuse me, state-controlled media to minimize negative publicity. None of these payments occurred inside the United States, and none were through a U.S. person, or and apparently none went through a U.S. bank. The due diligence showed that the target had significant record-keeping deficiencies. Further, the records <clears throat> which did exist did not support the clear majority of the cash payments and gifts to foreign government officials and the charitable contributions. There were expenses that were improperly and inaccurately classified, the accounting records were so disorganized that the accounting firm who did the forensic audit was unable to physically locate or identify many of the underlying records for the transactions. Finally, the target had not developed or implemented a written code of conduct or other compliance policies and procedures, nor did the target's employees show an adequate understanding of the awareness of anti-bribery laws. What about the proposed post-acquisition remediation? The requester presented several po post-closing steps to remediate the target's weaknesses <clears throat> around the time of the planned closing. The requester aimed to complete the integration of the target into its compliance and reporting structure within one year of closing and presented an integration schedule of the target into the acquire, which included various risk mitigation steps, dissemination, and training with regard to compliance procedures, standardizations of business relationships with third parties, and formalization of the target's accounting and record keeping in accordance with the requestor's application. So what did the DOJ have to say? Well, DOJ first said that as none of the payments were made in the U.S. by the uh, 
target. None went through the U.S. banking system and none involved a U.S. person or entity. It should not lead to the creation of liability for the acquiring company. Moreover, there would be no continuing or ongoing illegal conduct going forward because no contracts or other assets determined to have been acquired through bribery would remain in operation. Therefore, there would be no jurisdiction under the FCPA to prosecute going forward. Additionally, there was a significant amount of pre-acquisition due diligence and a pre-acquisition risk assessment engaged in by the target. The DOJ communicated several important messages through Opinion Release 1402. First, it demolished the myth of springing liability to an acquiring company in the FCPA context, context, context and buying an FCPA violation simply through an acquisition. All of this means there must be continuing illegal conduct for the F, for FCPA liability to rise. Most clearly, beginning with the 2012 guidance, both the DOJ and SEC have communicated what companies need to do in the M&A context. While many compliance practitioners had previously focused on post-acquisition integration and remediation, the clear import of 1402 is to re-emphasize the importance of pre-acquisition due diligence. Due diligence must begin in the pre-acquisition phase. The steps taken by the requester in this opinion release demonstrate many of the techniques you can use in your pre-acquisition due diligence, such as having internal or external um, legal accounting compliance review a target sales and financial data, its customer contracts, third-party and distributor agreements, performing a risk-based analysis of the target's company base, customer base, performing an audit of selected transactions engaged in by the target, and engaging with discussions with the target's key personnel about what their values are around bribery and corruption. Whether you make these inquiries or not, you also need to engage in post-acquisition integration and remediation. 1402, opinion release 1402, that is, taken together with the steps laid out in the 2012 FCPA guidance, has clearly provided the actions needed after the transaction is closed. If you cannot perform any or even an adequate pre-acquisition due diligence, the time frames you have Put, you must put in place after the acquisition closes may need to be compressed, and you may make sure that they are not continue the uh, target or former target, I suppose, would be continuing any nefarious conduct going forward. But all of this goes back to my favorite term, dislinking. If a target is engaging in conduct that violates the FCPA, but the target itself is not the subject of the jurisdiction of the FCPA, you simply cannot allow the conduct to continue. If you do allow the conduct to continue, you will have brought an FCPA violation upon yourself and your company. So what are today's three key takeaways? Number one, in the M&A context, the key is to dislink any illegal conduct going forward from that which may have occurred previously. Two, Opinion Release 1402 provides the clearest roadmap for both pre-acquisition and post-acquisition compliance actions in the M&A context. And number three, never forget the opinion release procedure itself. It has now been successfully used in two important M&A matters. One we previously discussed, the Halliburton uh, opinion release, 0802, and now in 1402. This gives you the opportunity for very creative lawyering and may help you 
if you faced, find yourself faced with a similar situation. I'd like to thank you for listening to Day 10 of One Month to More Effective Compliance for Business Ventures, and I hope you'll join me tomorrow for Day 11. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of One Month to More Effective Compliance for Business Ventures, and I hope you will join me again. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate the podcast as it would help in our rankings and help get the word out about the only daily podcast which will bring you a more effective compliance program. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Once again, thanks to this month's sponsor, Mike Volkoff at the Volkoff Law Group. The podcast series, One Month to a More Effective Compliance Program, is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Please join us again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.